Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today we're reading a piece by Edwina Stanton-Babcock that looks at the fine line between security and freedom that cats must walk. From the Diary of a Cat Monday Very uncertain and lamentable conditions of the weather much dampness and discomfort. This morning I was forced to rise early, as it appeared that the cook at the house where I occasionally stay wished to use the coal scuttle in which I passed the night. I conveyed to her that she might have it and welcome, that its usefulness to me was, for the time being, over, and intimated that I should be obliged to her if she could furnish me with any suggestions as to where I might obtain a breakfast. She thrust me out of the gate. I turned and surveyed the cook with a look of reproach, The cook had not a graceful foot, yet I determined to accept it as an omen, and I kept on in the direction in which I had been, as it were, impelled. Thus a calamity often saves us indecision. Being impelled in any direction is better than no progress at all. I proceeded with some deliberation around the edges of many puddles towards an ash barrel, which I could dimly make out through the grey dawn. I saw very little that was worthy of my attention, but after acute search, walking slowly around the rim of the barrel, I at last descried a small chicken bone half embedded in the ashes. With some degree of exertion I drew it forth and made a delicious repast. My breakfast completed, and my personal appearance all that I could render it, the weather being so unproprietous, I spent the day in short excursions up and down fire escapes, and in an observing ramble down Back Fence Boulevard. At last the sun came out, and I found a convenient porch step, and passed the remainder of the day in quiet reflections. Tuesday For a long while I had been very curious about a garden with a spoked fence enclosing it, which I passed daily on my promenades over the roofs. I often paused to look down upon it, and I have three times had the same dream about it. In the dream I thought that I had somehow obtained access to the garden, and that I had dwelt there amid scenes of luxury and content. I did not lack for adventure and sport, for there were droves of entrancing white mice tripping here and there, enticing birds flew from tree to tree, and played rarely at my favourite game of catching and eating. And besides all this, there was a fountain of milk, spinning high in the sunlight, with tender goldfish roving about in the great basin, and endeavouring to attract my eye. It is not surprising that since my vivid dream I have used every device to effect an entrance into the garden, but I have not discovered a crack nor a crevice where I can creep in. Always on my tours over the roofs I have kept this object in mind. I have surveyed the situation carefully and accurately from every possible viewpoint, making estimates and measuring, and at last I think I can gain an entrance to the garden in four jumps. The first three I have essayed and found practicable, but the fourth jump is a feat of peculiar requirements. What agility I command has not yet proved equal to it, yet I am determined to accomplish it. This fourth jump I have failed in repeatedly. Friends of mine, who have unfailingly achieved well-nigh impossible leaps, have warned me against the dangers attending this one. But it seems to me that what may not be crawled under must be jumped over, and so far in practising the jump, though I have invariably fallen, I have invariably alighted upon my feet. Wednesday 
Today I went in to see the grocer to consult with him as to my using one of the barrels in his cellar for a winter habitation. I offered to pay him in dead mice. I produced one as a sample. He asked what he could do with a dead mouse. I thought it was a stupid question, for I have observed that he was never able to put live mice to any use, and I suggested that he should sell them, as he had been so successful in selling dead fish. What there was in my bearing that should so have offended the grocer, I do not know. As he has no tail, I could not be aware of his rising wrath. I was therefore not a little surprised when he seized me by the neck and hurled me into the street. I had no time to remonstrate. My sensations were indescribable. Flying through the air in a revolving manner does away with a perception. It is well nigh impossible to record one's impressions when one is in doubt as to whether he is upside down or sideways over, and keeps on revolving in a maze of successive immersions. I obtained some exceedingly curious views of my surroundings, and I regret that I cannot recall them more clearly. But as I remember my swift and shameful transit, I see how much we have depended upon our own uprightness to judge correctly the positions of others. The grocer, as I left his grasp, appeared to me to be standing on his head, but it was in reality I, who stood upon nothing, who mistook his attitude. As I say, my speed was great, and though I alighted upon my feet, my distance from the grocer was incredibly long. Fortunately, I retained my presence of mind, and I turned, surveying the grocer with intense disapproval. I conveyed to him that from my point of view he had acted with undue haste, and under grave error, and that I should trouble him no further. I then went down a side street, regretting that I had left the sample mouse where the grocer would be sure to see it and appropriate it. Friday for some time I have been interested in the cultivation of my voice. There are certain tones that I find I can produce with ease, and I have developed them into sounds of extraordinary power. Of late in the evenings I have taken up a comfortable position on Back Fence Avenue and practised these tones. I keep to simple exercises, striving for a certain quality of great beauty and sweetness. One or two of my friends have a like ambition, and we have formed an agreeable custom of meeting at the same spot every night and comparing our progress. Our exertions have caused intense curiosity in the inmates of the houses about us, and exclamations of wonder and awe are often heard. We expect to combine our several tones of excellence into a chord which will express great emotion. It will be called the yearn chord, or the song of unnumbered woes, and will be of a plaintive, pleading character, with rising and falling cadences and inflections of great depth and resonance. Monday. After practising the fourth jump and being unsuccessful, I repaired to the butcher's to try and obtain a portion of meat. I walked in upon him early, and with a brisk manner, as one who would say, it is necessary that I should eat to live. Are you sure that you do not live to eat? retorted the butcher. The butcher is a brief and caustic man. The shortness of his speech is due to the influence of his pursuits upon his character. There is nothing quicker and shorter than a chop or a cut. A butcher might with great success found a school of expression for preciseness and brevity. I jumped upon his broad back where he could not reach me. "'Get off, you brute!' cried the butcher, but I dug my claws deeper into his soft, fat flesh. 
Then he bribed me, and when he tempted me with something worth my while, a red and juicy bit of steak, down I came and, seizing the meat in my mouth, ran out of the shop and ate the steak behind a garbage can. Poverty, it is said, sharpens the wits, but it is hard to keep the wits as sharp as the hunger, which poverty also grinds out to a pretty point. Tuesday After many failures, I have at last discovered a most desirable place in which to sleep. I have adopted one of the large white urns on the gateway at the entrance of the park. It is a commodious, elegant affair, sheltered by the great oak tree that spreads its branches over the gateway, and I can drop into it from the oak boughs as softly and lightly as a snowflake. There I have solitude and shadowed gloom, The moonlight reveals the cold statues glimmering in the groves and bathes the dead fountain in white streams. Not wishing to be selfish and sensible of the lack of sleeping places, I invited a chance acquaintance, Speckle Devil by name, to occupy the other urn. He refused in sullen, dogged manner, saying in a shamefaced way that he didn't want to sleep in no symbol. But Speckle is of a rough and superstitious nature, given to foolish and groundless prejudices. He and two friends of his, Stealthy Rake and Smutty Sneak, make a strange trio. Careless of appearances, rough and defiant in manner, there seems to be characters of intense swagger and bravado, but their adventures and their conversation I find highly interesting. I detect a certain eloquence and clear-cutness in their expressions. I find that their lack of conventionality renders them at once picturesque and convincing. Hence, I ask the question, can it be that it is only the vagabond and the social outcast to whom it has been given to utter plain truths? Is it only a rake that can call a spade a spade? Tuesday. Mild weather. Perhaps spring is coming. I spent the morning wandering through some empty sewer pipes. It is a stealthy mode of travel, and one that much pleases me. Things that I wish to eat, I often secrete in these pipes, until such a time as I can enjoy them. The only difficulty is that the pipes are all very much alike, and are placed end to end in long lines down the different streets, so that it is often hard for me to remember in which pipe I have placed the bone or bacon rind that I wish to preserve. I sometimes wander on through the miles and miles of pipe in search of the treasure, only to discover at last that I have entered the wrong line of pipes. However, my travels are entertaining and often bring me out to interesting places. This morning, as I stepped out of the end of the pipe tunnel into the open sunlight, I found myself facing a dog kennel, which I concluded was empty. There was a saucer of milk by the door. I stopped to quench my thirst, when, immediately, I was set upon by an old blind creature who flew out of the kennel and hurled furious invective at me. I drew back. "'Madam,' said I, "'there is some mistake here.' "'You are the mistake,' retorted the old creature. "'Get out of here!' Uttering horrible imprecations, this unpleasant exhibition of feminine temper completely unnerved me. Though I wished to explain that my interest in the milk had been merely that of endeavouring to test the accuracy of casual observation, I refrained, and, completely disgusted, moved rapidly back into the sewer pipe. Wednesday I was in an ailanthus tree in Pigeon Place the other day, devoting my leisure to nature study. 
I was endeavouring to concentrate upon the innocent gambols of a flock of sparrows, one of whom, by her artless coquetries, particularly engaged my attention. Her fascination for me was exceedingly pleasant, and I cast about for some means of drawing nearer to her, for nothing could have been more coy and retiring than the little sparrows. As I gently advanced along the limb upon which she perched, gazing at me with a pretty shyness, I was startled to perceive someone else climbing the tree. Looking down, I recognised my acquaintance, Speckle Devil, who rapidly ascended. I concealed myself, but the astute Speckle soon discovered me. When he approached, the sparrows ceased their interesting sports and flew away. I was disappointed and could not conceal my chagrin from the clumsy Speckle. He stopped and surveyed me. "'Chasing dicky birdies, eh?' he volunteered in his coarse way. I was irritated and did not hesitate to show it. I climbed farther out on the limb. Speckle followed me. Oh, "'Don't be mad,' he whined teasingly. I faced him and surveyed him with cool scorn. "'You look like a shattered ideal, Speckle,' I said, trying to make him sensible of his uncouth appearance, for nothing could have been filthier or more shocking than his entire person. He turned and sharpened his claws on the limb, saying defiantly, "'Oh, get gay, then! What do I care?' You look like an animal cracker, you do. Gee, you look like a leopard that's lost its spots. I saw then that the honest fellow was hurt, and, in a milder tone, I asked him his reason for disturbing me. Speckle chewed a twig or two in silence, then he replied, Fight! I was interested at once. I hesitated. I had some idea of going to practice the fourth jump, and I disliked the society of Rat Alley. Speckle watched me disdainfully, narrowing his yellow eyes. Finally, I said, "'No, Speckle, I think I shall stay here. You must understand that it is a principle of mine not to witness a fight.' Speckle, having reached the ground, turned up his face and eyed me scornfully. "'Principle,' he sneered. "'Principle? Won't witness a fight. Sit on a limb and witness dicky birds, but he's too good to witness a fight. Oh, Lord!' and he swore violently, then saying with intense scorn, "'Yes, you're full of principle, you are!' He ran along the fence towards Rat Alley. Thursday. Had an interesting debate this morning with an old family friend who used to know my mother. Our talk drifted to serious things, and I asked her if she believed in the theory of nine lives. She replied that she did that she knew for certain that she had lived through seven lives, and warned me against such rash ventures as the fourth jump, without making sure of at least one life to spare. Saturday. I spent yesterday afternoon and evening at the home of a young child whom I had followed, because she bore a paper of codfish which attracted me. The house where the child lives was exceedingly warm and pleasant, and I reclined in front of the glowing fire and made myself agreeable and attractive— considering, meanwhile, the advantages of such a home. It has often occurred to me that sometime in my life I must have been owned. I can recall the feeling of caresses and the scent of soft garments worn by some gentle person who felt solicitude and affection for me. I think I can remember, though but dimly, the look of delicate hands that cuddled me and the warmth and sweetness of a breast to which I was pressed. How I ever became disaverted from all these comfortable conditions I do not know. But it was long ago, 
and has no part of my present life, for now I become restless in any close environment, and invariably, after a short stay by some hearth of friendliness, I feel the spell of the streets, a spell that draws me away from mere ease and plenty to the thrill and mystery of a roving life. And so it was yesterday, half slumbering on the little girl's lap after a delicious refreshment of custard and cold liver, I heard suddenly, or thought I heard, a voice that called me, and an old desire for vast lonely spaces, for the desert of the roofs, for silent cobbled streets seized me. I thought of the vague gutters stretching away into solitude and night, and the old hungry haunting. The strong longing to go out and look for something possessed me. I got down from the little girl's lap and went out of the door that led to the street. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production. <laughs>